Hey everybody, bienvenidos. This is Seminary for the Rest of Us, and as always, I'm your host, Sabrina Reyes-Peters. And uh, yeah, so we're still in a bit of a summer lull, but uh, starting in the fall, we will have, or I will have, but it's always more than just me. So we will have something special for you. So if you follow me or follow my podcast account, which is really me, um, on Twitter, or if you're on the email list, uh, you will be sent the first to know. So uh, keep your eye out for that. Uh, don't worry. Uh, just keep your eyes peeled. Uh, you won't miss it. Um, so yeah, I got to sit down with Dr. Monica A. Coleman last week. It was a true delight to do so. Um, Here's a little bit about her. She is a professor of Africana Studies at the University of Delaware. She is an ordained minister in the AME Church and initiate in the traditional Yoruba religion, who spent over 12 years teaching in graduate theological education. She is the author or editor of six books, including Making a Way Out of No Way, A Woman's Womanist Theology, and then Bipolar Faith, A Black Woman's Journey with Depression and Faith. In this episode, I get to ask uh, Dr. Monica some questions about process theology, uh, which you may or may not heard of, but I would like to guarantee you that by the end of this episode, you will be very curious to learn more, and you will also know where to find more information if you would like to learn more about process theology. Uh, Dr. Monica does a great job of breaking it down, uh, bringing it down to earth and making it applicable uh, to quote unquote real life. And she talks a little bit about her faith journey as it relates to process theology and how it connects to liberation theology and womanist theology hint it's all about justice i'm a little bit rusty but i have a really brilliant guest so i'm hoping that you'll just focus on what she has to say and i will fade into the background so without further ado here's episode 12. um i heard a lot of good things from about you from folks that i respect um who are also process theologians on Twitter, and um, they highly recommended that I talk to you. Um, so I'm just uh, grateful that you were able to join me today. Uh, thank you for the invitation. As you know, process people are very passionate about our process. And yes. always, always happy to share. <laughs> yes, um, I'm glad. I'm glad about that. Uh, it's been quite a while since I've studied anything to do with uh, process theology. So I'm going to try not to say too much because I don't, I don't uh, want to oversimplify things or uh, mislead people. So um, I will let you do most of the talking when it comes to that. Uh, but for the purposes of becoming acquainted, I thought um, I would ask if there are Anything, um, if there's anything you want to share, I'm thinking of two things, uh, something 
fun and lighthearted that you'd like to share and something more serious or uh, something related to your work that you would like people to know about you? Um, well, I think maybe it's fun and lighthearted. One of my hobbies, if I have hobbies, <laughs> is vegan cooking. And oh, so fun. Um, my Instagram, you'll see a lot more uh, pictures of food I cook, mostly gluten-free as well. And oh. uh, when my daughter was young, it would say toddler approved after it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's kind of a fun, lighthearted thing. I spend way too much time cooking. Um, because I now live in a state where I can't really get vegan food outside of my house. So um, that's kind of fun. And I do, I've been working on um, this summer because I now live in a place where I can go to orchards and pick fruit. <laughs> I pick fruit. Oh, that's so pies. fun. And I'm making <laughs> blueberry pies, blueberry cobblers, peach cobblers, peach pie, apple pie in the fall. So that's really fun. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I used to be a vegan about 10 years ago, I was vegan, gluten-free, and soy-free. <laughs> I kept it up for about two years until it wasn't really sustainable for me. So, But I still have a lot of respect and admiration for those, uh, the, those of you who can stay vegan for the long haul. <laughs> Anytime you want to come back in the fold. <laughs> um, for sure. So one big question, right, is like, who, what's the big deal about Jesus? Um, other big questions are, you know, why are we suffering if there's a God who supposedly cares about us, right? Other big questions, what happens when we die? Yeah. Um, and so I like playing around with those questions and looking at answers to those questions because they're the kinds of questions I have as a person of faith. And sometimes I got answers to them that I liked, but I was like, but how do we know you're right? Don't I need to look into this for myself? Or uh, other times I was like, I don't really like that answer. And I don't know if I can really get down with this. And I need to start looking for something else. Or we need to kick this whole God thing to the curb if I can't get a better answer. Mm. Um, and so that's actually how I became a process theologian. Because I was looking for some better answers than the ones that my tradition had given me. I think that is kind of a recurring theme when you ask people why they became the type of theologian they identify with or identify as now is oh I was looking I was looking for answers to questions uh, and I found and I found something that I could really relate to uh, so what was it about process theology that that really um, that really inspired you and, and helped you find those answers um, well, I think there were about three things, and I'll give them to you in <laughs> increasing order. Um, one was that the idea of process made sense to me. Um, and by process, it really means that everything is always changing, that we're always changing. Um, a small example I give is we look at a, ta a table, we know it, it feels like a solid but if we've been through like ninth grade science, we know that there are actually molecules moving around in it. Mm -hmm. um, so that things really are always moving, even when it doesn't feel like they're moving, that we're always mm -hmm. changing. And when I teach process, I say that, process, that what happens in the world is a result of three things. Um, what we have to work with, <laughs> what's possible in our context, and what we do with it. 
And I was like, even Dr. Phil gets this, right? <laughs> I mean, to, to show my age, right? Like every, even your kind of pop psychology is like, well, what do you have to work with? <laughs> you know, what's your past? What are you going to do about it? What are your yeah. choices? And so that made sense to me that everything that happens is a combination of these three factors. Um, so that was one thing that brought, it just kind of like, yeah, that's, I look around and that's kind of what seems to be the case. Like, I don't know a lot about quantum physics, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is kind of what um, some process thinkers were thinking about, but I can just look around and say like, yeah, that kind of seems to be what I've noticed about the world too. Um, another thing that brought me to process, um, and this is probably pretty distinct to me, is that when I heard people talking about process theology, which was a couple professors here and there, mind you, um, it started to sound a lot like um, some of the insights that I knew from Native American religions and African traditional religions. Okay. Um, in terms of being very grounded in experience, in terms of believing that God is in everything, including but not collapsed into everything, right? But seeing that there's sacrality and divinity in natural elements of the world, right? That we have a dynamic relationship with God, maybe even a symbiotic relationship with God. And I was like, oh, I feel like I've heard this before. I wonder if anyone's ever thought about that. And it turned out, no, no one else had ever thought about that <laughs> when I had said that. Um, so that would be probably the second thing that really drew me to process theology. But the first thing and the most significant thing for me was I really liked the way process, and I still do, like the way process theology understands suffering and evil, because that was where my big questions were. Um, I've experienced suffering. Um, I'm pretty public about the fact that I live with a mental health challenge, and so depressions are just suffering to me. And I have, I'm a survivor of sexual violence, and I have worked closely for years with survivors of sexual and domestic violence. And so I've seen, you know, individuals, communities, you know, really experience deep personal pain. And people always ask something like, why is God letting this happen to me? Where is God while this is happening? I'm praying to God, and this is not stopping. And I didn't have any answers for that my tradition where I just kind of what I had grown up with gave me answers that I found wholly unsatisfying. Um, things like, well, everything happens for a reason. You think, you know, <laughs> or all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. So then you think, well, if things aren't working out, does that mean that this person doesn't love God or isn't called by God? It didn't take much to start poking at that, right? Mm -hmm. Or, um, well, God has a plan and, you know, this is part of God's will. Really? Like this? Like suffering and pain and abuse? And so even if I believed them, I surely wasn't going to tell that to somebody who was sitting in front of me in pain, but I couldn't even tell myself that. And so I was looking for some better answers to that. And I took a preaching course, actually, on preaching themes of suffering and evil. And in that course, I read Charles Hartshorn's book, Omnipotence and Other Theological Mistakes. And I was like, aha, <laughs> in the sense that the light bulb really came on for me. And being able to think about God's power differently than I had originally thought about God's power and thinking about um, human and worldly freedom and agency differently than I had previously 
really made a significant difference for me in my personal spiritual life, but also in terms of the people I was working with and cared about and was teaching. And I was like, I must know more. I must learn more. And that's how I became a process theologian. That there's a lot of things there. Um, from what I have read about uh, process theology, the very little, the very little, mind you, because I haven't read very much. Um, I did pick up these themes, you know, that theme of uh, changing, how things are changing, um, how God is um, not exactly in, in the world, but really close to it. I don't, it's really hard to explain it, so maybe I could have you explain it a little bit. But the, also that question of theodicy is how 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 do you answer for evil and suffering when it seems that God is so far away and uh, um, God is not intervening? Like, what do you what do you do then? Um, so I really appreciate you giving a little bit of background there, and I was wondering. If you could explain, um, since you kind of mentioned this in a couple different places, uh, the connection between uh, process theology and um, the transcendence versus the imminence of God, um, because uh, oh, back in the day when I was taking uh, theology proper, and if there's anyone listening who uh, went to seminary with me, uh, you'll, you'll remember studying this book. Maybe you even know what this book is. Uh, uh, no One Like Him uh, by John Feinberg, I think it is, but he it, it's this giant tome like this where he compares classical theism with uh, open theism and then process theology. And, it's, <laughs> and it seems like he was always demonizing process theology uh, because uh, he really thought that uh, transcendence was like really important. So could you touch on the aspects of like transcendence versus uh, imminence and maybe omnipotence, which you already mentioned a little bit? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um... I think the best way to answer it is to go back to where I was talking about, I saw similarities between um, process and some other, uh, and African traditional religions, et cetera. And it's the, our fancy theological term is panentheism. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to, you know, I think it's great to have long words to impress your friends and family. But what that means is that God is in everything. That's all it means, yes. right? <laughs> um, so if you're coming from, you know, Jewish and Christian traditions, the idea that God has breathed into all of us, right? That God creates all of us and is a part of all of us. That God is closer than our very breath, right? That, um, and so that, that's all it means, right? That God and the world aren't the same. So it's not like to see a tree is to see God, but to see a tree is to know that that God is in that tree. And <laughs> to see you or to see me is to know that God is in us. And we are in God. And so we are part of who God is as well. So it goes both ways, right? Um, and this is quite different from how many people have thought about God, right? We'd like, okay, God is in us, but we're not in God. And so in process, yes, we are part of who God is as well. And everything that we do and we experience and who we are in the world is also a part of who God is and how God is, I guess, God's own being or God's own becoming, that God 
kind of like um, the children's song that God's got the whole world in God's hands. So yes. God's not just holding us, but we're actually kind of like maybe seeping into God's hands, right? Like we're part of who God is. Um, and so that's panentheism. So um, we don't really use terms like transcendence and eminence in process theology, but we try to, we hold them together, right? Because God is outside of us. We're not the same thing as God. So there's yeah. the transcendence, but God is also a part of who we are and in us and we're in God and that's eminence. So we really, I think, have a balance between transcendence and eminence. We hold them together. Um, but we don't, do not have the same transcendent God. Like God is way, sometimes up, but people said up because they thought the world was flat, right? In heaven, <laughs> yeah. was down. Yeah. So now that we know the world is round, we don't have to say <laughs> up, but um, God is out there somewhere who sometimes looks down and says something to us, right? That would not be what process theology would say. Um, so there is definitely more eminence in process than a much more transcendent God, um, like you might find with some other theologies. Um, so that's, that's yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So for us, that's where we find omnipresence, right? So we're going to talk about the omnis. <laughs> um, yes. Because God is a part of who we are. God is always with us. So there's not a sense that God is sometimes with us, sometimes not, that God leaves us or we have to invite God somewhere or we can be abandoned by God. Like none of that is possible in process. Right? God is always with us because God is a part of who we are. So you can't shake God, right? Like there's nothing you can do to get rid of God in a process world. Um, so kind of like the Pauline phrase, right? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from God, God's self. And God can't shake us either, um, for what it's worth. <laughs> All right, God's like, I'm through with you. I'm leaving, right? <laughs> to go where? To do what, right? No, this is like, we're, we're together. So in process, there's always God in the world, always God in the world together. Um, to address omnipotence, um, which is in a classical sense, omnipotence means that God has all the power and meaning an authoritative yes. kind of power, that God has mm -hmm. the power to make things happen or not to make things happen or stop things from happening. Uh, and that is an authoritative kind of power. In process thought, we don't believe that that is the highest form of power. <laughs> so we do believe that God is omnipotent, but that we're not talking about an authoritative power, but rather a persuasive power. And that a persuasive power is a stronger form of power <laughs> than I'm gonna make you do something versus I am going to persuade you as to why this would be a great way to go. <laughs> And I am going to call you or love you or lure you, we use different words, right, into seeing this is the way. But because we have agency, we can only be like, yeah, I heard you, but I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so it, it's very in, much in consonance with Hebraic understandings of their own faith, right? You think about the prophets in the Hebrew Bible, where God calls them and they're like, no, <laughs> right? I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't speak well. I'd rather be inside a big fish, but I'm yeah. too young, right? They're like, I heard you, God, and I don't think that's a good idea, right? And God's like, well, let's try it again. And so God is, is persuasive, but God keeps calling and keeps calling. And they're like, okay, we'll do it. But they don't have to, right? So God's not making them become prophets. For example, we can always say no. Sometimes you're like, I think I have a sense of what it's going to be like, and I don't want to do it. Um, and God's like, no problem. I'm still here asking and is persuading and we think that the persuasive power is actually a higher form of power we would say um, because you really change someone from the inside as compared to coercive 
power or authoritative power. So for us, that's the way in which God is omnipotent. And that's how we get to um, evil in the sense that people can always say no, right? Any structures and systems can always say, yeah, God, but we'd rather be selfish. <laughs> we'd rather be greedy. We'd rather be violent. We'd rather something else. Like, heard you, but mm, no. <laughs> and God's like, well, all right, I guess that's what it is. I'll keep calling you. I'll keep persuading you. I'll keep trying to help you go a loving and just and beautiful way. Um, but can't make you. I think that is, I can see how that um, is very comforting to people who maybe used to believe that uh, God somehow ordains suffering or evil, kind of like he, he is very, um, God is very, I'm trying, excuse me, I'm trying to get out of using uh, masculine pronouns for God, but it's very difficult because it's like so ingrained in me. So I keep slipping up. Um, so uh, there are verses in the Bible because we could always proof text uh, so many no things way. from the Bible, whatever <laughs> we want to. Like it, it seems it's like in some places that God ordains evil and suffering. So you're like, okay, well, God, God says it was going to happen this way. So I guess that's why like it, like it happened to me, um, like in a, in a kind of a, so God is like up chart. It, in charge, but uh, they're up here and uh, they're kind of just like dictating what goes down here and like God is not not really with you. Um, so I can see how uh, process theology is like, is, is definitely uh, more comforting. I think so, right? I mean, and I, yeah. I mean, because the Bible is like, a bunch of it's like a lot of theology right it's yeah. the writings of different religious communities from the past and just like us they had some ideas about god <laughs> and wrote about them um and so that's how that's one way we can think about scripture right there where um the pauline community you know the followers of matthew and peoples right <laughs> you know and they're like we've got some ideas and these ideas just like ours are affected by their context and what Remember, they thought the world's flat. So they're yeah. going to be like, well, this is up and this is down. Right? I mean, that's all they had to work with. I mean, you know, they didn't have telescopes. What are you going to say? So yeah. I'm not mad about it. It's just yeah. they're also shaped by their culture and their scientific knowledge and their experiences. And they're telling us about their experiences with God, which tell us a lot of really cool things about God, I think. Um, even including like, wow, we screwed up. God is punishing us for this because of course it can feel like that. And yeah. maybe we got it right. And so God is rewarding us. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, but you start pushing it that and be like, well, why them, not us? Where, what about everyone else's God? All they're caring about is the God of these little people in this little region of the country. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, but we usually think that God is much bigger than that. Um, so what's God doing with people on the other side of the world? Is God rescuing them? Is God loving them? Is God saving them? Is God sending them prophets? Yeah, sure, I would say. Um, but we don't get that because we're, that's just not what we get in, you know, what in, in the Bible that most Christians would use. <laughs> and so I think it becomes a question of, is this a God you can get down with? Like, is this a God you still want to worship and pray to and talk about <laughs> and share with mm -hmm. other people? 
um, like that would be one test, this, you know, for a, yeah. a theology you want to stick with. And so, yeah, process theology gets a bad rap. You go Googling and there are people out there just slamming process. And I think you're spending a lot of time slamming a theology. Like, why bother? Just tell us what you believe. And that's cool. Um, as compared to saying they've got it all wrong. Um, we're like, hey, this is what we believe as process theologians. And we think it makes sense with our experience in the world and what science is telling us and with different religious traditions. Um, but if we're wrong, well, you know, hopefully God still loves us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hopefully God is bigger than this. Um, yeah, um, you alluded to like another another thing that I was thinking of. I find that people's perceptions of God, um, they 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 like to say that they got it from the Bible, right? Um, but I also think that a lot of it can be can be because of someone's background and someone's personality. It's like it's a your it's kind of like in some sense, it's like your perception of God. Um, so I find it uh, very telling if someone is just uh, very focused on slamming, for lack of a better term, um, process theology instead of trying to find out like why process theologians believe what you guys believe. <laughs> yeah. Right, and there are process biblical scholars out there too, right? I yeah. mean, the Bible just gives you a lot to work with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this is probably why I like theology, because as theologians, we're clear that we're working with um, the religious culture we've inherited, or working with the culture of the times, we're working with science and experience, um, and, and scripture, right? Yes. <laughs> and I mean, and that's not just me, the process of theologian, all theologians do this, right? And yes, exactly. It's really clear that we're putting these things together. Um, perhaps emphasizing one thing more than another, but we're putting mm -hmm. these things together to come up with something that we think will be helpful or you think will be relevant or we think will be, for me, liberatory, right? That will help us to seek justice communally because I'm also a liberation theologian. So I'm always going to care about, well, what's going to get us towards justice? What's going to get us toward the common good? Yes, um, and thank you for reminding me um, about about the uh, th liberation theologian, uh, theology aspect. And you also mentioned uh, w womanist uh, theology as well. Um, so can you say a little bit about how the, those also tie together with uh, process theology? Um, yes. So I would definitely say I am kind of was born to be a liberation theologian, a black theologian, feminist theologian, womanist theologian. Um, I do work in disability theology as well. Um, and these are all theologies that say that, hey, it actually matters <laughs> that people are oppressed and this is not what God wants for the world, which to me seems like, well, why doesn't everybody say this? But apparently that's not the case. So <laughs> we very much emphasize the parts of scripture and history that suggest that God is not really happy <laughs> when people are oppressed and abused and violated and hurt and mistreated. And that part of God's vision for the world right, that we see partially on earth and hopefully fully in whatever happens after earth <laughs> is um, for there to be justice and there to be equality and there to be inclusion, right, um, and there to be a way in which we might all care for each other <laughs> in the common good. And so that's what makes me a liberation theologian. And um, many liberation theologians, not all, but many have a different view of God than, than a process theology view. Um, I don't 
I can't say, oh, that's not great. It's just not mine. Right. And right, so right. I hold a process view of God and the world. And I believe that part of what God is calling us toward and urging us toward, and when God hopes that we will embrace and work together with God for the creative transformation of the world, that it's also towards justice and also towards freedom and also toward liberation and inclusion for all. So for me, it, it comes in fairly seamlessly, but there are plenty of process theologians who just weren't talking about that. <laughs> they just, I don't think it's that they were anti it. That's just not what they were interested in. It's not what they were writing about. Because um, no one said, hey, Monica, we think you're doing process wrong. <laughs> they just said, oh yeah, that's cool too, right? <laughs> um, people write about what they're interested in. <laughs> and so I know there were many process theologians before me who weren't talking about that. Um, either because it wasn't as pertinent to their personal experiences, or they were just writing about other aspects of process theology. And so for me, that becomes a primary aspect of process that I write about and talk about. Amen to that. Um, that's awesome. Um, so I am really intrigued by our conversation, and I want to learn more. And you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you're working on a project uh, to bring process theology uh, to more folks out there who aren't necessarily uh, in the world of academia and who aren't necessarily scholars. Um, can you share a little bit more about that? Yes. So um, I have a course. We can find it at processtheology101.com. Right. Although there's actually 102 and 103 <laughs> as well, <laughs> but you can start with 101 if you would like. And it's designed for, you know, maybe you studied theology, but you just never got to learn much about process theology. So I have people in the class who are master students and doctoral students, but just never got to learn process theology. And then people who are just people of faith and are like, I'm really curious about this. So um, I'm, one thing I think I'm pretty good at is making process theology accessible because I wouldn't wish anyone <laughs> or everyone, you know, the philosophical reading I've had to go through to understand the detailed aspects of process theology, although it is really fun. And if you want to do doctoral work, let's talk about it. But <laughs> if you just like, I want to know some stuff, right? You just want to learn. You don't have time to read books. You don't want to write papers and get them graded. It's that class, right? So oh, awesome. There are six lessons. Each is less than 30 minutes. Um, and I give places to, I give exercise sheets for reflection. If you do want to read or watch movies, I do give a resource guide, but you don't have to. So you can just... <laughs> you know, be a part of these lessons and learn more than you might know right now. Um, ideally, you're converted to process, but even if you're not, <laughs> it's just a way to learn more about this particular school of thought. And so in 101, I go over a lot of the basics, how we understand the world, how we understand change, how we understand God, how we understand suffering and evil, and what we think happens after death, what we think about life after death. And in then 102, I'll go over topics that religious people tend to care about. <laughs> Things like sin, salvation, savior, miracles, um, that kind of thing. And uh, spiritual practices and scripture. And then in 103, uh, I look at process interreligiously. So um, what does it look like to be Muslim in process, to be Buddhist in a process person, to be atheist in process, right? Hmm. To be embrace goddess spirituality and process thought, um, African traditional religions and process thought. So, and that's what's covered in 103. So yeah, anyone can grab the class. 
Awesome. I'm, I'm super intrigued. Um, what about for people who are like, eh, that doesn't really sound like my thing. Maybe I'd like to read a book on process theology before, you know, I come, uh, I do this course. Uh, uh, what's a book that you would recommend for folks? Uh, that's great. I'll offer two things. One is I'm doing some free webinars where I'm talking about the suffering and evil part. So that's a kind of way to get to say, hey, what do I think about this? So any, you can sign up um, if you go to bit.ly, you know, that B-I-T mm -hmm. <laughs> dot L-Y slash process webinar. Um, so I'm doing two of those in the coming week or so. Uh, so people can sign up for that. And even if you can't attend, you can sign up and you'll get the replay. <laughs> and that's totally free. And a second book, um, well, I guess if you want to hear the way I do process, you could read my book, Making a Way Out of No Way. And it says subtitled A Womanist Theology, because back when I wrote it, nobody thought we're using the word process would sell. I was like, really? Interesting. I know. Huh. <laughs> um, but it is a process. It's a womanist process theology. And it's got some fun stuff about science fiction in there, too. So if you like science fiction, I think you'll like Making a Way Out of No Way. Okay. That's right up my alley. Um, I'll definitely put all these things um, in the show notes for for folks. Uh, again, uh, Dr. Monica, thank you so much for joining me. Um, is Are there any other places where people are welcome to maybe follow you and keep up with uh, what you're doing? Ah, yes, well, um, you can always go to my website, monicaacoleman.com. And you can see what I'm up to there and just kind of sign up and you'll get a newsletter where I'll give you recipes for food <laughs> if you want the vegan food, as well as like things I'm reading and places you can find me. Um, also Instagram, I'm Rev, R-E-V-D-R, Rev Dr. Monica. More food, some fun quotes, all types of things there. Uh, wait till I figure out Insta stories. I haven't yet. When I do, <laughs> man, look out world. <laughs> And so I'm many on, pretty pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on Twitter a little bit. You can find me there, okay. but you have to give me a couple of days to respond. So I'm Monica <laughs> A. Coleman on Twitter. Okay. Awesome. And Facebook. I'm always on Facebook. Cool. I will include all of this in the show notes. And uh, hopefully uh, folks will find this helpful. I know I really did. And now I'm like super intrigued to like look into one of your courses. Um, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Seminary for the Rest of Us. That was episode 12. Also the first episode completely produced by the host, Sabrina Reyes-Peters. Thank you so much for tuning in. Find us on the web at seminary.show, on Twitter at seminaryshow, and I greatly welcome any comments or questions you have to send my way through email, seminary.show at gmail.com. And if the questions happen to be related to theology or biblical studies, they might just get addressed on the show. That's something new that I would like to try, and I hope someone takes me up on that. Oh, and if you listen on Apple Podcasts, there's an easy way to help boost our visibility, and that is by giving us a rating real quick. If you have an extra minute, a review is always nice. Thanks again for tuning in, and catch you next time.